What is up, everybody, and welcome to the All NBA Show, part of the All City Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Manes. I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Tim Legler. Legs, how are you doing on this Tuesday? I am phenomenal on this Tuesday, man. I'm, I'm really excited about the, the topics today. I'm excited. We didn't have great games last night in terms of number, only four. A um, couple of them pretty good games, but I'm just excited about what we're going to get into here because it's been a, it's been a minute since we talked Heat. They deserve to be talked about right now. It's, it's, it's particularly this time of the year. They become very relevant, it seems like, every year at this time. And, they, <laughs> and they're doing it again, Adam. That's Miami Heat music, always right around now. And I, I'm excited as well because I love the Miami Heat. I love a lot of their players. But I especially love Jaime Jaquez, who we're going to dive into today. We're also going to talk about the Raptors getting the win over the Pacers and the Pistons losing. Maybe they got screwed over at the end of the game to the New York Knicks. All of that on today's show, but first we are presented as always by DraftKings. Stay tuned because you'll hear more about DraftKings and all they have to offer throughout the show. DraftKings, the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. We start with the Miami Heat getting a very impressive win. It was a blowout win or was headed for a blowout win in the third quarter. They were up 20 points. I feel like the Sacramento Kings legs are most dangerous when they are up about seven points or when they're down 20 points. I don't know what it is, but I just feel like I've watched so many Sacramento Kings games this year where they were down 20 and they storm all the way back. They did that in the fourth quarter, came all the way back, but the Miami Heat held on in large part because of Jaime Jaquez, who they played through in the post and on the elbows in the fourth quarter, and he delivered for them. What stood out to you about this game? All right, well, before we get into Jaquez, I, it, it, there's somebody else I want to talk about because I felt like this player's contribution really created the separation. It was a very key stretch, second half of the third quarter, when this game sort of got away from Sacramento. And it was turn back the clock night for Kevin yeah. Love, right? Yeah. I mean, he, was, he wasn't doing what you know he normally does at this stage of his career. Not even this stage of his career. My goodness, he was in his prime playing in Cleveland and he was kind of doing more of the pick and pop thing, right. And doing most right. of his damage from the three point line or as a passer at the elbows. Cause he's always been a good passer. This was Kevin love going into the post repeatedly. And he played 15 minutes and he had 19 points. And most of them came in that very short spurt and he was getting to the line and he was taking advantage in some cases of switches. And he, he got like Davion Mitchell on his back a couple times and he rolled down there. But even when he was guarding bigger, uh, being guarded by bigger guys, he just was rolling down there, sealing, keeping his position, getting the ball. They were giving him as many dribbles as he wanted and he was getting whatever he wanted down there. And honestly, if you go look at the score of the game, when that stretch started, that was the turning point. Yep. So Hawkes was sensational. I thought Bam Adebayo was was yep. absolutely tremendous, and it's actually a great game to look at Bam because uh, he's looking at in, in some ways some of the stuff he does on the perimeter and stuff is a mirror image in 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 um, Sabonis, like literally are mirror images of each other with their passing where they want to get to on the floor. Bam's a much better mid range jump shooter, but his I thought Bam was sensational. Like what he did to control the offense, Hawkes was great, but they don't. Maybe win this game, or it's a lot tighter if Kevin Love doesn't have that stretch in that four or five minute stretch when he was the primary scoring option in the post. And it was like sometimes you forget Kevin Love is like still in the league. And then you watch a Heat game, you're like, well, Kevin Love, he's still doing things because he he was sensational during that stretch. What did what did you what did you think of that time in the game when it's very rare these days where you're going to go to Kevin Love repeatedly like four or five trips in a row? And he's going to cash in like that in the low post. Well, what I think about it is that Kevin Love is such a great all-around player, especially on the offensive end. He is not just one thing. You're right that he became a pick-and-pop big. And I think about this a lot, Legs. The league evolving so much from 20 – from really when Kevin Love entered the league. I don't remember what year it was exactly, 2008 or nine or somewhere around there. And to where it is now, the, the game evolved so much. And if you remember early on in the Minnesota uh, Timberwolves uh, era for Kevin Love – he was, it was always the first guy to have 20 rebounds and four threes. And it was like, man, what a crazy skill set. You know, this is so different. You think about it, he laid the blueprint. He laid the foundation for a lot of what this league became. Now, a guy's having big rebound games and shooting the three. Carl Anthony Towns, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, like Miles Turner even. There's guys that do this. So I think that's, first of all, what I think. But what is nice about it is there's a lot of players that have come in 
in the last 15 years, a lot of bigs who have become one thing. Like, okay, that's what I do. I just pick, I pop, and I just do that. Kevin Love showed last night that he has all these different skills. He has that post game, and I agree with you. It was, to me, that third quarter was about very smart, skilled execution from the Miami Heat. And in a night when they were missing so many guys, I mean, Jimmy Butler and, and Nikolajovich both suspended because of that altercation. Tyler Hero and uh, Terry Rozier were out with a knee injury. Josh Richardson out with a shoulder. So they're down five playable guys. And so you have to play a different style. And I just thought it was – they had, they the players that were remaining were very smart, unselfish, and executed really well. And that third quarter was a master class of execution. Yeah, and he, you know, it's just interesting that a guy can still – you can still do it at that level when you need to because he had double-digit scoring twice in his last 15 games going into yeah. the Sacramento game. And he gives you 19 in 15 minutes. Also had seven boards. I mean, you know, look, look at the contribution in the stat line. And, and he just looked – he looks stronger. Kevin Love is is you know since he started having some injuries and and along the way he had some back issues, he had some knee issues. You know he he was like a guy that he'd make a quick flash down there, and then like if he didn't get right away, he'd just bail out and get out to the three point line and wait. Last night he was getting people on his back, and he was taking that one hand, putting it behind him, and like pinning yep. them to his back so that they couldn't move and calling for the ball with his other hand. It was just fun to watch, man, because I, you know, Kevin Love was so good early in his career before he went to Cleveland and totally right. had to adapt and change because of who he was playing with in Cleveland and the spacing on the floor had to be totally different. And he still was always a great defensive rebounder when he was in Cleveland. That was not going to change. But he was a great offensive rebounder in Minnesota because he yeah. spent a lot more time in the post and at the elbows. Yeah. And like that was where he operated from. So he's closer to the basket. That kind of went away, and that's all you're talking about the very beginning of his career when he left there, um, and it, that's kind of what it looked like last night. You reminded like how good he is down there because his hands are incredible. He catches everything you throw to him yep. as an entry pass, and then he's able to to just find a way to use his body and, and just wait until he wants to get you know get off the floor and release the ball. So I don't know. I thought he was great. Bam was great. So their front line was tremendous in this game, and then of course you had Hawkes, who was the other guy. During that stretch, late third into the fourth, Hawkes was the other guy. It was basically the two of them with some little bit of help from Bam during that stretch. Bam was great in the first half. Hawkes and Love were the two guys that like really took over this game for the Heat. Well, I think the other guy – sorry, I, we almost need to spend more time on Bam because this was such a uh, – Yeah, I agree. You know, we talk about Sabonis and what a run he's been on. By the way, another triple-double, 14, 14, and 10. This is his worst triple-double, though, of the last like 15 games. He's had a lot of triple-doubles, and they've all been great. But Bam outplayed him in this game, and he was phenomenal on both ends of the court. He almost, you know, we think of Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat because they've been it's been a staple for so long. Bam is, first of all, Jimmy misses a lot of time, and Bam is there. And then you also just think about what is the future of the Miami Heat. You know, is, is Jimmy part of this? Bam, on nights like this, the nights where he gets to carry the team and he goes out there and plays, I don't know if he's the best player on a championship-caliber team because I always think he's more of a supporting role-type guy. Yeah. But I think he's a leader of a championship-caliber team. And last night was a leadership game, I thought, from him. When I mentioned that the team was playing very executing really well, I think he's the staple of a lot of that. And then defensively, you're, that's a really good Sacramento Kings offense that you held to 19 points in the third quarter, and a lot of that was him anchoring and disrupting Sabonis. And you know, look, Sabonis still had you know that great stat line, and I like you said, I think you summed it up well. He said his worst triple double. I, it was it was interesting to me because I actually thought about it after the game because he was not a very he was not really included much in this game as a scorer. He had 14 points. He only took eight shots, and he gets the triple double. This was more like a a Jason Kidd type triple double, right? It was like one of, one of those. You know, I'm not, and I'm not denigrating Jason Kidd. Jason right. Kidd played a different position. Like you know, he was out there primarily to make guys look good, and then he would get to his ten points, you know, 12, 15, 14 points, and then the rebounds for a guard tremendous. And of course, the playmaking. But it's like it was that kind of triple double, and that's kind of what Sabonis was. He wasn't really involved that much in the game as a scorer, and I didn't think. Like we make a lot of deal, a big deal about these triple doubles, and I have been a little bit desensitized to just the phrase. I don't even bring it up really with anybody. Like Jokic, right. I, it's rare you'll hear me talk about that. A guy had a triple double. Like it becomes such a huge part of the broadcast anymore. It, and I'm just going. There's so many of them that it, I've been desensitized to it a little bit. I'm not demeaning the right. overall ability it takes to get that. It, it, you know, but I didn't feel like. So bonus had a huge imprint in the game. And a big part of that 
Adam, was because Miami was significantly better than the Clippers were, who the Kings had just beaten in defending all of that weave and dribble handoff right. action that I talked about that day. The Clippers were were terrible. They were trying to chase over the top with the big back and just setting up guards to come off Sabonis's hip to walk into 15-foot pull-up jumpers. The, the Heat, they didn't play it the same way every time. It depends on where you are on the floor if you have time to go under the screen and meet them on the other side. And the number of times they did that, and I watched Hawkes did it, Caleb Martin did it, uh, Duncan Robinson did it. And it, and then another time, if it was tighter, if he was handing it off right at the three-point line or inside of it, well, then you've got to chase over the top. But Bam, his ability to be up and still recover back if he needs to is kind of special, right? He can jump out at 24 feet and still make a play at the rim if the ball goes there. That wasn't going to be the case with Zubac and Tice Right, they they were they were either going to be up and they're out of the play, or back and allow those walk up jumpers. The Heat didn't do it. They they were so much smarter on how they defended that action that it wasn't a big part in the game. It wasn't really something that the Kings could could pick them apart with and gut them with. So, to a certain extent, they negated Sabonis's effectiveness in that. So I was impressed with with the Heat defensively and what they were able to accomplish to slow down a really high power team that's got this action that's very hard to defend. Why are they so good? I mean, is it is it Bam Adebayo? Is is he the key to this? Because the guys you just mentioned, Jaime Hawkins, Duncan Robinson, those are not guys you would expect to be good at this skill. Is it great coaching? Is it great technique? Like, what what is it that you think makes them so good at this? You have a luxury as a coach when you have a guy like Bam Adebayo that is that reactive with his feet and is that quick and able to do two things at once, when you have that at your disposal, you can game plan differently. What you're going to come up with schematically to defend action that you're about to see, that's a primary driving source of someone's offense. When you have a guy that versatile, that can that can jump out, and if it, that means, hey, the guard got hung up, so now I'm going to switch out onto De'Aaron Fox. I'm going to switch out onto Malik Monk. I'm going to be okay. Yeah, they might score me, but I'm going to be there. I'll be in the area. I'm going to get a handoff. It's not going to be a blow-by situation, and I don't have to back so far off that they get an uncontested three. But more often, it's be out there hedging enough so they can't walk off of that and do a jump shot. And then if Sabonis dives or there is action or if the guard turns the corner on you, you're quick enough with two strides. Basically, it's usually two long steps. He's jumping and he's getting up around the glass to bother people. It's just he's an elite-level athlete. He's incredibly quick, Adam, to go from a position where both feet are on the ground yeah. facing the opposite end of the court at 25 feet to at the rim with a quick just swiveling his hips, two strides, and jumping. And, and very few guys at that spot are quick enough to do it, and it's a luxury Eric Spolster has defensively with the way he can play ball screen and dribble handoff. And yeah. that was a big part, I thought, of what happened last night. It allows some of those guys that you mentioned to be better defenders because of the amount of coverage you're getting from the second guy involved in that action. The Heat always – I never know what's chicken or egg. Do the Heat identify guys that fit their culture or do guys get in oh, yeah. and become part of the culture? I think it's probably both. But Daylon Wright made his debut last night for Miami Heat uh, for the Miami Heat. And I just watching him, I go, man, that's a Heat player. That's like a perfect fit, a perfect guy to go there. He defends, he plays hard, he's smart, even defensively. Like I always love players that are smart defensively. He anticipates well. He had a great open court steal, you know, jumped it, read. If you rewatch the play, you see exactly how he read the rotations and everything and got a good break on it. And then 35 minutes. So to go from never playing with his team to playing starting and playing 35 minutes. Five assists, zero turnovers in the game. So I watching Dalon Wright, he hasn't been in the rotation, and I don't know if they're just taking it slow. Some injuries have have elevated him into it, but I watched him last night, and I go, that guy fits that team. Haywood Highsmith, too. Both of those yep. guys, right? Highsmith was great last night as well. Um, no, they do, and, I, I, and I'll reiterate something I said about the Heat at the beginning of the year with you, um, that we haven't visited him in a while, so I'll say it again. The thing that I love, and, and I praise Eric Spolster for all the time, and this is such a hang-up for coaches, and, and a lot of guys can't break through this. Eric Spolstra identifies a strength in a player and is going to value you, appreciate you, respect you, and utilize you based on that strength 
and consider it his responsibility to protect you from your weaknesses. If you're not a great ball handler against pressure, you're not going to be put in that situation too often. If you're not a guy that's going to be able to pressure up beyond the three-point line because you might get beat laterally, you're not going to be asked to do that. There'll be something defensively they'll create to protect you. You won't be hung out on an island on an ISO or in the post. They're going to bring help to you. But on the other end, if you do certain things, if you're just a ball handler distributor, he's going to value you for that. If you do it well, right. you got a place with him, right? And so many coaches get so hung up on the one, the one or two things you can't do well as a player. And as soon as those things surface, you've lost favor with the coach or you're taken out of the game or whatever it may be. And Spolster is the opposite. He, he, he's, his job is to make sure you're utilized in a way that we take advantage of that skill set. And all the guys you just mentioned, I think that's what they do. So I think when you talk about heat culture and certain kind of guys, I actually think they are more open to more types of players than mm. any other organization because Eric Spolstra might need a specific thing that he thinks his roster needs. And there might be a few other things that teams are turned off by. He's not going to worry about that because of this one strength. As long as you, you know, don't get me wrong. As long as you are athletic enough to be in the league, he's going to figure it out for you. And then, so therefore I just think when they look at players, they're more open-minded to what might come into their organization as help, as long as they have the character, integrity, the work ethic, the team guy first, and then that, and then just this one particular thing that they're going to bring. And I, I just, I just praise them so much for that because that's healthy. That's healthy. It promotes a very healthy roster, a very healthy locker room. Yeah, I love the point about Spo being able to find the value in a player because to me, this is what basketball is all about. There are core things that you have to accomplish to win a championship or to win at the highest levels, but there are so many different ways to get to those to that outcome. There's so many different types of players that can get you there, and I think coaches and players oftentimes, like star players, will fixate on what their supporting cast can't do, and I need my guy to do this. I want to impose my will. Sometimes you can't, you know, the limitations of a player make it so you can't overcome it, but a lot of times it is for both players teammates and for coaches to say, okay, well, how do I get this guy's skill set to work to the, to the better of the team? And that's what you're talking about with all these guys. Is there my last one on the game itself? Is there something to a team like Sacramento playing against a Miami heat team? That's all of a sudden completely different down five rotation pieces, completely new guys come in. Daylon Wright's new. Is that, I always feel like teams win in that spot because the opposing team now doesn't have a scouting report. It's like, okay, well, we don't know what they're, we didn't have Kevin Love's going to go down to the post and play bully ball on the scouting report tonight. He hasn't been doing that. So I always think that that's a bit, a bit of a challenge for a team like Sacramento. I hear what you're saying, but the only thing I'll say to that is it's not like, you know, Bam was just okay. Hawkes right. wasn't very good. Right. And then Duncan Robinson, well, he didn't actually did. He was one for 11, didn't play yeah, very well. Yeah. And then just got beat by these other guys. Like you got beat by them, by, you know, Highsmith and DeLon Wright and Kevin Love. Bam Adebayo was sensational. Hawkes was sensational. You know, going in how they play and what they're capable of doing, and they still were able to do it. So I don't necessarily agree with the, with the concept of, you know, oh, guys are out and, we people sneak up on us. Plus, the long right's been around a long time. Like you kind of know the book on these players. Um, is there a little bit of you know, particularly at home, and you feel very comfortable there? Is it a little bit of you're not quite up on your toes when you run out of that tunnel, knowing that they got all these guys out? I definitely think that's a part of it, but I think there's also more than enough time to react to that and go on a run at some point where you get the adrenaline of the building, and then you should be able to make it a wrap. I yeah. just thought the Heat outplayed them. The Heat won all of the matchups when they got switches. Anytime they got an opportunity to drive one-on-one, -on -one, they just made the right read, the right play, and I thought their energy and commitment defensively was very, very good the entire time. They just they just played a better game, and the Heat, 8 out of 10. With only two of those wins, really, uh, I wouldn't just describe as quality. I think they beat right. Washington in there and it might've been San Antonio. I don't remember the other team, another bad team. That's it. The other wins are good wins, good to great somewhere in that range. And I think last night I would label that as a great win, you know, beating Sacramento on the road when they had just beaten the Clippers. That's a good win. I mean, that's a great win for the heat. Let's move on to our headline player now, which is Jaime Jaquez. 12 of 17 from the field, 26 points, five rebounds, two assists, three steals of just a full stat sheet. But his game is beautiful. 
It really is a beautiful game. He has incredible footwork. He's sneaky great in the post. It's funny because we always think of a great NBA body as being like the prototypical. You're going to be skinny. You're going to be long, you know, tall, long. He's kind of a wider body guy. He's not yeah. a typical prototypical guy. But what I love when you get players like this is when they know the advantages. We always focus, again, on the disadvantages of having a body like that. He might be a little bit slower. He uses his size really, really well. And he uses it well in large part because of his great footwork. But he also seems to have a knack for, okay, I'm not the quickest, but I can do this with my – he ducks in really well. When he cuts through, he gets the defender on his hip and then slows down to create space. I just – he is such a advanced player for a guy that is coming into the NBA and the confidence to be able – I mean, if you remember on opening night, they played through him on the very, the very first game of the season. They went to him in the clutch and he delivered. It just shows you that they have trust in him. Last night, he was a guy they were playing through in the clutch and he yeah. delivered once again. Did and I, I loved it. It's funny you literally. We didn't even discuss this before the show, but you took a thought I had about him, literally right out of my mind, which is the physical profile. You know, he kind of reminds me because he is thicker. He's thicker. He's got he's got a wider back. His legs are thicker. Like he's you're you're hundred percent right. Yeah. He kind of reminds me, and he's this guy. The guy I'm going to mention is a little bit taller than him, like a Gordon Hayward type of yeah. body, right? Wider thighs. They, they again Hayward wasn't going to blow by you but he went at his best he really knew how to use his body absolutely utilized and mastered the spin move which is was always my favorite move as a ball handler um and for a guy that's like strong and wide-shouldered and stuff if you can get really good at driving one direction or the other and then spinning back tight where that player is now like on your back and you get them there through the spin it is really tough to deal with like he's not a guy that's going to cross you up bang bang you know change directions twice and get you leaning one way and go the other maybe a little bit of that but for the most part it's straight line dribble drive he's going to do one crossover go and then just get into you and finish with contact or he's going to spin back once yeah. you've recovered and he uses that size and that strength and the wide shoulder he uses that to his advantage and i thought last night he did it as well as I've seen him do it all year. Last now he doesn't usually take that many shots. The guys right. being out contributed to that. He took 17 shots. In fact, you have to go back, Adam. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. He's taken 17 shots. The last time he did that was November 24th. So, Man. you know, he's Very had rare. double digits a bunch of times, but 17 shots last night was a lot for him because of guys being out. They ran their offense to him. He got it going. And they let him go. And then during that stretch, we were talking about with Kevin Love and Hawkins was the other guy. He was he was ISOing like from you know whoever was in front of him and just going. Had a yeah. nice left-handed finish on a layup. Had a nice right-handed drive where he got in and got contact and finished over him. Um, very impressed with the fact that you can't speed him up. He plays at his pace. He's he reads what he wants he doesn't take the ball to bad areas of the floor which is unusual um for a guy that's yeah. young right? i love that out. i love that he just doesn't do that you don't see him jammed up he, he's never in yeah. that position and it's that it, it, you know you want to make things happen when you're when you're young man he's rookie getting in the league and you just want to like go 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 he's just never like that everything is calculated he's like knows exactly what he wants to do and he's going to work you to get there not much you can do about it so we're obviously both big fans and I thought last night, if you're a Jaime Hawkes fan, he kind of last night was like the one to watch because yeah. I thought he was sensational the entire game with everything that he did in the way that he controlled that game. What I love about it is he took two three pointers. In fact, he only took two uh, three shots that were 17 feet or out. The rest of them were attacks to the basket. He's very good in the zone right now that I think is the market inefficiency, which is like eight feet. You know, you think about those eight footers. Everybody wants to protect the rim. They're giving up the mid-range, but if you settle for a 17, 18-footer, okay, that's not a good shot for most players, including Jaime Jaquez. But instead, he keeps going till he gets to the rim, and if not, then he's in the seven-foot zone where he can spin around and shoot the jumper, and he's so comfortable with that. And that shot, I think, is technically a mid-range shot, but those aren't the same. Those are a little more valuable because, one, you're near the basket, so if you miss, you're, there's an extra offensive rebounder around the hoop. And then the last part I have on him, when we just start to talk about, okay, not just this game, but how good can this guy be going forward? His first step to me is still really slow in a way that I think is going to get a lot faster. And his footwork yeah. is elite. 
his sense. You were talking about not getting trapped, not getting in bad spots of the court. That's instinct to me. That's like just great feel for the game and where not to put yourself. He has those things, and I don't know that he's ever going to be De'Aaron Fox, but I do think there's going to be a, a steep incline in his first step athleticism that's going to make him even more deadly. Completely agree with that. And I think, you know, the three-point shooting, I think, is something he's going to continue to work on. He's five for his last 31. He doesn't take a lot of them. It's clearly not a shot that he's super comfortable with from that distance or that range. I, you know, you're a wing in the NBA. You're six six. You're going to have to add that. That that's going to have to be something that he gets more comfortable with. And if it's not off the dribble for a while, if yeah. ever, that's okay because there's enough opportunities with Jimmy Butler on the floor, with Bam on the floor, right? There's enough opportunities to get catch and shoots. Like he doesn't really hunt that at all. He his game is he's got other comfort zones and he finds himself there all the time. I do think it's something that could be important for him if he wants to hit hit his ceiling where he becomes a legitimate threat. Or maybe he's taking three or four of those a game and shooting a good percentage. I think that can come because there's no reason. He goes to the line, you watch him, his stroke is perfectly fine. The mechanics are there. The strength is there. He's not going to have an issue. It's more that's just not something he's comfortable doing right now. And he's so good at the other stuff and getting where he wants it. He doesn't need to yet. But I do think that's the next evolution being quicker with his with his you know his catch and triple threat and, and jab step game and going on guys and then being able to be more comfortable to be able to flare out and spot up at the three and wait and catch yeah. and not have to take it back into the teeth of the defense that those are the, the two things that you're going to look at and say let's see where he's at in a couple of years on those on the point of the flare and the in the three he is very good at this in the Miami Heat as a team including last night Delon Wright was good at this attacking the closeouts on the move so you know as a shooter you're you're getting ready you're getting your feet set to be able to catch and shoot but you can read when you're not going to have enough time and rather than catch and then go the heat do the spurs used to do this really well back in the in the tony parker era and the ginobili era catching it like running into the catch so that as the defender's closing out you're beating them off the dribble he does a great job of this and to your point you're going to get more opportunities of that the better you become at hitting that flare screen and, and hitting that three-point shot. Let me give you, here's another, uh, two interesting things. And this comes from a profile on ringer.com from my guy, Wes Goldberg, who I do Locked On NBA on Fridays with. He's He had a profile on Jaime Hawkins and he was talking to him about how he got to be such a fundamentally sound player. He said, I had traders later in my career, but from the start in my base, I would literally just try to watch YouTube for hours and hours. And then when I was done, I'd go to the park and I would try everything I saw. I love that story just because I feel like there is a type of player that that's how they develop. It's almost like watching instructional videos and then going out. Guys that are studying players, and you can see that. I mean, you can see the Kobe in his footwork. You can see the Paul Pierce and the different things. And then the second one I love comes from his AAU coach who was talking about, I mean, all these guys that are freshmen now, they came up in the high school AAU circuit during COVID, which is, you know, could really break guys or send them two ways. He had this quote. He said, some players, the pandemic was suited for them. He would stay in the gym all day and really hone his skills at the best time during the pandemic. And I love it. I think the pandemic screwed up a lot of development for guys that thought development was playing games, playing games, playing games. And that's an important part of development. But there's the Jaime Hawkeses of the world. The one thing you could do during the pandemic as a high schooler is go to an empty gym and work on your footwork. And you could tell this guy had extra reps doing that. And I just thought that was a really interesting detail that gives you some insight into who he is and how he how he approaches his development. Listen, you got you got to utilize what you know the circumstances and it, and take that as an opportunity to go work on your game. Look, I used the pandemic myself to improve my woodworking skills. I bought four different types of saws. I learned how to lay flooring, Adam. I had I learned what a miter saw was. Like that's what I did for four months. I was so you, you first had to learn what a miter saw was, and now you're, I never you're used a miter saw. I didn't know what it was, man. Now oh. look at me doing my quarter rounds. I'm I'm doing you know you name it. I'm getting it done out in that garage. Come in the house covered in sawdust. It was a great time in my life, Adam. Yeah. Listen, your point your point about watching guys and emulating them is, is I didn't play really really play organized basketball until I was 14 years old. And there was a player, and one of the reasons that helped me because I could already shoot a basketball because I was big enough, strong enough, like with, with good mechanics. And I was watching the NBA and watching college basketball. Huge ACC fan, grew up in ACC country, huge Washington Bullet fan, and then became a Celtics fan when Bird came in the league. So I was emulating the shooting strokes of some of these guys before I ever really played on a team. 
But then there's this other player that specifically going into my senior year of high school changed my number to number four because of Jim Paxson, who was John's older brother. And, and if you don't know, just look up Jim Paxson. If you've got younger people, listen to this. And why did I, why did I want to be like Jim Paxson? There was no three-point line in, in high school. I didn't get that until my junior year of college. So you was everything was really predicated on your cuts and off-the-ball stuff. And Jim Paxson was like a guy that would fit in great with what the Warriors do because he never stopped moving without the ball. And that's the guy I wanted to be. And it always became a big part of the way I played. I was always in great shape, and I was like going to run you to the run you to into the ground, and know that you were going to tire before I was, and I was going to run into something good for myself. And that's how Paxson played. So the same thing, like you get a guy like Hawkes, and that's how you do learn. You kind of watch people. You want to do that, and then you if do you have the obsessive work ethic to actually go incorporate that into your muscle memory? Not very many guys do, but it's a good place to start. I love it, man. I'm, this Miami Heat team is so interesting. If you look at the standings right now, they are a couple games, actually. Just two in the loss column out of the four seed. They're the sixth seed currently. It's a jumbled mess, four through eight in the Eastern Conference. But they're surging. Eight of their last ten, uh, one four in a row. And they did this last one shorthanded. They're going to be shorthanded, I think, for a little bit here as they get guys back both from suspension and from uh, some injuries. But nonetheless, I think that it's not a coincidence that the Heat do this every year. I think Spolstra knows there are these foundations you have to build that don't reap the benefits right away. You build a foundation early in the season, you might lose some games, but you'll pick up momentum as you start to add layers and layers and layers and all of your guys toughen up and they kind of absorb the culture and absorb the identity. And look, the Miami Heat are right on schedule and I'm watching them now and I'm thinking, my God, is this East going to be fun? Listen, I'm going to, I'm going to, my last point on this, because it kind of sums up what you just said. They are the one team in the Eastern Conference, the one team that, regardless of record, regardless of how it's gone to this point, if they show you a stretch of basketball post All Star break where they, they're getting it together and they're executing and they're winning games, right? Like, like we're talking about the way that they're playing doesn't matter what the record is to that point. They're like the one team that you go, man, if they're playing right at the right time of the year, look out because, you know, who knows? It's, we don't have to predict where this is all going to go yet. That's not, you know, people want you to every day. That's not what we have to do. But I'm just telling you, you look at teams like Cleveland, the Bucks, the Knicks, like some of these other teams that we've been talking about that are trying to grab onto that second spot, like who's going to challenge the Celtics. Then you get the Heat playing like this at this time of the year. And you want to put any of those teams, I just mentioned those three teams in a best of seven with the Miami Heat. I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of people, if the Heat are fully healthy, are going to pick Miami to beat any of those teams in a best of seven if it started today. Yep. And that's what the Heat can do to you when they put together a stretch like this because of their track record and how well they're coached. They're right on schedule. Um, all right, let's take a break. On the other side, we're going to get to some of our other games from yesterday, which include the Raptors beating the Pacers. What happened to the Pacers? What a weird game. We'll get Legs' take on that. And then the Knicks, maybe lucky to eke out a win against the lowly Pistons at home. We'll break that one down as well. But first, got to tell you about our presenting sponsor today. Get in the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers who deposit $5 or more can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets instantly. I've got some bets for you tonight. The Mavs are five-point underdogs to the Cavaliers tonight. Uh, that should be a great game. Mavs, Cavs, and then the Pels, they are a three-point uh, favorite uh, tonight. Who's that one against? The Knicks. Oh, my goodness. And then my favorite bet tonight, if you wanted to look at it, I, I just had our producer, Emma, look this one up because I thought it was so silly. Wembenyama blocks plus steals. The line is at four and a half and it's minus 130. So you're, they think it's more likely to go over four and a half blocks and steals. That's just insane. But at the same time, I would take the over personally. So right now, uh, sign up, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code ALLNBA. New customers get that no sweat bet up to $1,000 on your first bet. Only on DraftKings with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for prom gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 or older age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. 
one no sweat bet per new customer issued at one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash promos for deposit, wagering, and eligibility restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Last night, another one of these rematches between former uh, teams or former teammates. Siakam facing his old team, the Toronto Raptors, but the Raptors go into the field house and pick up the win 130 to 122, a very balanced performance for Toronto. They got contributions for a lot of guys, including Grady Dick, who had a very good game, seven of nine shooting, 18 points, five rebounds, two assists, one steal. I thought he was the worst player in the NBA in the first month of the season or so. I watched this guy. I didn't, I don't watch college. I don't do a lot of college scouting or draft scouting. So my, I only saw him playing in the early part of the season. I thought, what is this guy's skill set? Last night, I thought he was pretty impressive. What stood out to you about this game? It was tremendous last night. And much like I gave Kevin Love a lot of credit for the separation in that game, you know, being the key driving force behind that, Grady Dick was in this game. Grady Dick had an incredible stretch. Um, and we know he could, he could catch and shoot, but he did more than that during that stretch. I mean, he had, he had you know, action off the ball. He was curling, getting to the rim. He was making the right read and the right passes, but then it was the timely three-point shooting that really did Indiana in and, and separated enough in the fourth quarter there where they, it was just too much of a gap for them to close. The Grady Dick was great, and he, you know he's a guy that, you're right, he struggled early, and he I think he, it, it takes some guys a while to get um, more comfortable. He looked very, very comfortable last night. It looked Indiana, yeah. I thought Indiana, um, when they're – when they're playing really well and they're, and they're like tough to beat, it's not all about the offense. Like there's a, there's a, there is a increased effort. They were terrible beginning of the year. They got significantly better with their effort. It's particularly when it comes to multiple efforts and running down guys at the three point line. That was a, a big problem for them earlier in the year. They're much better at it. Kind of thought they reverted back to some of their ways um, mm. last night and not, and not necessarily specifically about the three point line. I didn't think, some of the loose ball stuff effort wise was there. I didn't, I thought they got beat up uh, on individual containment and they're playing smaller lineups. They played some lines with Siakam at the five. They got killed when they did that. And Toronto, Toronto took advantage of them off the dribble. They got to the glass. If Siakam did come to help as the backline guy, they'd get a tip in or they'd get a dump off to somebody. Um, when they played bigger, they'd have like a Linux on the floor you saw like Jalen Smith uh, uh, out at the three-point line defensively, Miles Turner out there, and now guys were getting beat off the dribble, getting to the rim without a lot of help. I did not think it was a great defensive effort on the part of the Pacers. Uh, Toronto took advantage of that. And Grady Dick, yeah, that's one of his best games of the year and, and, and impactful. And you could see – I felt good for him because you could see the reaction that he was getting. Like There was there was a great reaction. Um, so – Grady Dick from his teammates. They were happy for him to see him right. have that moment. He was the he was the key guy in this game at a very key time and a pivotal moment in this game because it was pretty tight for quite a while. And then Toronto went on a run and, and they pretty much separated and got that double digit lead and they and they kept it. Fourth triple double of the season for Scotty Barnes, 21, 12, and 12. Anything? What what stood out? And five block shots, by the way. He's the best shot blocking wing in the NBA statistically. What stood out to you about his game? Yeah, he had a block last night where he came from the block and got to the corner for a blocked three-pointer when it looked like – I don't remember who took it. Um, it might have been Toppin. It looked like they had a wide-open three. In fact, so wide open that they kind of took an extra half a count because they thought they had time to line their feet up, and, and then boom, Shotty Barnes just jumps, gets a piece of it. He's just – he's always impressive, man. He plays with force. He just – he loves to defend. He's disruptive. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that on any given night can beat you a different way. It could be as a playmaker, could be as a defender, could be as a scorer. That it depends on what it takes on that given night. And he, he was he was certainly the most versatile player on the court last night. And I thought his defense was a big part of it. He had five blocks, but he had a lot of plays where he just showed himself and it affected what the pen, what the dribbler uh penetrating was thinking what a shooter was thinking because when he puts his wings out, man, he covers so much ground that it makes you think twice. And I thought he was disruptive even on the plays when he wasn't you know, showing something in the stat sheet. Any other thoughts on this game um, before we move on to the next one? Um, No, I, not really. I mean, I think, you know, this was a game for Indiana and they just had a great game. It just blew out Dallas. So they, 
feeling pretty good about themselves. I said yesterday, I think it's, that's a team that's still like I'm, I've always got my eye on them. I like watching. They're fun to watch, first of all, but even a, you know, over and above that, um, I actually think they're a team that would be a very entertaining, deep series against pretty much any of the top teams. And they didn't really, they didn't really have it to that extent. Um, gave up 40 points in the fourth quarter of this game in a game that was pretty winnable. Um, Indiana did not really bring it defensively. So I still think they're worth watching. They're sitting here at seven games over 500 um, this late in the season. And when you look at the Eastern Conference standings, I think we're waiting for Adam uh, to get back on here. I think he had some technical difficulties. Um, you look at Indiana right now sitting there in the seventh spot. We just talked about how well Miami's playing. So, you know, they're a half game up if, or basically tied. If Miami continues to play this way, they're probably going to separate and they're going to get cement themselves out of the play-in. I think Miami will end up there. So the question then becomes for Philadelphia, like how long do they have to play without Embiid? If maybe the whole season, if that's the case, I think the Indiana Pacers have a legitimate shot to get up escape the play-in and get up into that spot where like if you're a six seed, which I think they've got a legitimate shot at or higher, you could potentially then, you know, you get one of these other teams that we're talking about that we like but don't love necessarily. And now Indiana, you know, they're, they're coming at you with this pace and the way that they play offensively and the number of threes that they shoot. Um, you know, you got a real – you got a real problem, I think, guarding that team in a seven-game series. So I just keep an eye on them. It wasn't their best defensive effort, uh, certainly, uh, by a mile. But give the uh, Raptors credit. They played well and got the win. So only two other games last night. The one that we're going to talk about um, is the ending, really, mostly, of the Nick game. Uh, the Knicks, you know, they're 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 shorthanded as well. They get the Pistons at home. Pistons played really well in this game. I think they certainly played well enough to win the game. But when you look at what happened at the end, really is is what we're talking about. It's very controversial, and I personally think the Knicks got away with something there, right? I think Dante DiVincenzo committed a foul at half court to get that basketball back, and they really, the, you know, the, the Pistons gave it up twice. Really, they secure the defensive rebound. There might have been a foul on that. Um, gets knocked away, gets loose, run down, and now you got a ball handler trying to control it out in your half court. And Dante DiVincenzo sees the ball, dives on the ball, give him credit for making a hustle play, but he basically barrel rolls in to the ball handler and comes up with it, and it leads to an opportunity for them to then, you know, get the you know the deciding free throws in this game, the three point play. So I think that they got away with one, but. When you're the Pistons and you've had the kind of year you've had, Adam, maybe you don't get the benefit of the doubt on something like that. But if we're just being honest about it, when I saw it live, I thought it was a foul. I never saw a great replay because it's so partially obscured by the table there, the stance. So it was hard to tell necessarily without a clean view from the other side of the court, but it certainly looked like he's going in low and diving into the body of a player that has a pretty good opportunity to pick up that ball. Great hustle play. But I think they got away with one there, and as a result, they get a win. I think they got away with one. It was the craziest. It wasn't even just the they got away with one. It was a sequence of the sloppiest events. This looked like the end of a high school game more than the end of an NBA game with just several mistakes in a row. And I felt bad for the Pistons because one guy I've talked a lot about how much I like is Quentin Grimes. I just like that guy. I thought he was a great yeah. Second draft guy for the Pistons to take. He had 14 points, three rounds, two assists, a steal, and three blocks. I mean, filled up the stat sheet in his 24 minutes. But he had what should have been the game winner. With just a few seconds left, he drove. I thought he was going to try to power dunk it over. I don't even remember which Knicks player it was, maybe Hartenstein. And he goes up and he gets a, a really, really tough finish. And I just thought, that's a cool story, man. That's a guy that wanted more minutes, more touches when he was in New York. Gets a little revenge. And then the game kind of ended in the dumbest possible way. So... It was a heartbreaker for Detroit, for sure. But I will say, good fight from Detroit. The Knicks, I thought the Knicks were not necessarily great in this game, but I thought the Pistons were really good in this game. Pistons were really good in this game. I mean, if you just turn that game on, you had no idea what the Pistons season had been like. There's no way you're going to believe that they're, you know, 8-48 and 48 going into that game. The way that they played, because you're right, this was this was a game in which they they, you know, looked like a decent team. 
Um, and they've, they, they, you know, went through a nightmare at the beginning of the year. Clearly they've been much better since that long losing streak. Um, it's hard to recover from that. And they, yet they still, they're still going out there to competing, playing hard. I mean, Cade Cunningham was great last night. Um, he just is, continues to impress me. He looks more and more confident and smooth. Uh, this is going to be at this point, all they're looking to do is trying to continue to develop some of this young talent and get, get, get to the end of the year and forget about everything that happened to them this year. First, I got to win two more games though, Adam, they got to win two more games. That's right. They're oh, man, in, they live in infamy, right? They've got eight. They're, oh. What do you got? Uh, 25 games left. They'll, they'll get they two get wins and, and forget about that record and put that behind them. But this was a game that they played well enough to win. And, and at the end of the game, they did not, make the play they needed to. Whether you think Fontecchio got fouled on that defensive rebound or not, he had three guys there slapping at the ball. One way or another, you can't give up the basketball without getting fouled, that, no matter what. And so for that ball to get knocked loose, which led to the next sequence of events where DiVincenzo dives on the ball and they end up you know, recovering it for a three-point play, you got to – those are plays you have to make. You, you secure a defensive rebound in that situation, less than 20 seconds to go with a lead. You cannot – get the ball smacked out of your hand. Even if you get hit across the wrist, doesn't matter. You've got to grip that thing and make sure that you're going to have an opportunity to go to the line or you're going to get the ball out of there and give it to somebody else, eat more clock, and then get fouled. Didn't do it. <clears throat> Knicks steal one. That's the bottom, That's the headline from this right. game. The Knicks steal one because the Pistons played well enough to win and had the ball twice, up one inside of 15 seconds to potentially ice it at the line maybe, and they didn't do it. You're right. I didn't even think about the record part of this. You are right. They need the two more. They do play the Wizards, the Spurs, the Grizzlies, the Bulls coming up. They, they do have a handful of games where you say, okay, they have great chances to get that. And oh, by the way, the Wizards only have one more win than them. So they also are on, you know, on watch here. Um, but if we go to the Knicks side of things, very unimpressive stretch from them going into and coming out of the All-Star break. What do you think is going on with them? And, and, and are you concerned? I mean, listen, am I concerned? No, I wouldn't say that, but I agree. If you're just watching them and grading the product, um, it, and I think it's going to come down to getting everybody, you know, yeah, at their disposal, exactly. right. And having all the different combinations and buttons to push and finding that out. They're not able to do that right now. They got three key guys out and they got other couple other guys that just came back. A couple other guys that just joined the team uh, not long ago. I just think there's a lot of flux with them right now on a team that has 24 games left and there's has been very little continuity with the group that you think you're going to have to go compete in the playoffs with and try to make a run at the Celtics. They've had no continuity with what their rotation is going to be. So that's and they're running out of time. So from that standpoint I'm a little bit concerned what I think that'll look like when they do that. I'm not too concerned about that. I I just love the fact that the Knicks consistently play harder than who they're playing. That's yeah. going to get you through a lot in this league. And now when you finally get a flow to your rotation and your rhythm offensively and Thibodeau's comfortable with all that, I, I do think the Knicks are going to be a serious threat in the East. I really do when it's all said and done. That's not necessarily the case right now. Well, we have some good games coming up here over the next two days. I, last night's slate wasn't great, but we did get – I was glad we got to spend an extended time on the Miami Heat today because they're just so interesting. And as you mentioned, we got that great finish. But tonight, Dallas at Cleveland, this is a really good one for me. I, I feel like those – I love when there's a matchup, interconference matchup of two teams that I kind of feel are in the same tier. And I feel that way about both of these two teams. What do you expect from that one tonight? Well, I'm telling you right now, I'm putting the, the uh, Mavericks on notice, all right, because I, I was hyping them up, yeah. talked them up. Um, I'm, I'm on record for a lot of stuff. I think Luka's going to yep. win the MVP. I think Dallas yep. is a team that's going to look like a legitimate threat in the West for the first time, really, since since Luka's been there. And then you go out and you get blown out by Indiana by 22 points. So, <laughs> um, you know, they had a long winning streak before that. But right. this is a great – game and actually they got this is three more games on this trip they go to cleveland they go to toronto on wednesday and then they go to boston on friday so you want to really make a statement go take these three games sweep them yeah. uh but start it starts with the Cavs. it's a i think it's a gettable team they're they're very good defensively let's see how luca operates against this team i think it's a good i think it'd be a great 
opportunity for them to show what they are to, re- to rebound from the game that they had against Indiana to come into Cleveland and beat a team that's been red hot and is that good defensively. Let's see what kind of number they can put up on them. That's what I'm looking for in this game. I also like Orlando tonight, Brooklyn at Orlando. Not necessarily a great matchup, but Orlando is the team to me that I keep predicting is about to make a run. And they have five easy games in a row coming up, three of them at home, two of them on the road, all against non-playoff teams. This is their moment to make a, a move. I feel like we've talked about every other team that's in that jumbled mess of you know, I agree. five through But we haven't talked Magic, and I'm just waiting for the moment for them to get a little momentum going because Franz Wagner has been incredible, uh, and I'm waiting. So that game will be interesting. Just I think we'll get a read on if Orlando's ready to sort of make their move tonight. And then the Pelicans at New York. I love that one. Uh, Knicks-Pelicans is a really good game. The Knicks, as I just mentioned, I'm a little worried because they haven't had a great win. This would count, qualify as a great win if they're able to pick it up. I agree with that. And it, yeah, just and it's it's uh it's marquee Zion coming in. Every time he comes in, I feel like you know That's there's right. immediately an an article written or an editorial in the New York Post about Zion playing for the Knicks. It's unbelievable. Could he play there one day? Could he? It play? happens every single time. So this is another audition for Zion in front yeah. of the Nick, the front of the Nick faithful. I agree. You know, look. This would be a great win because you know you talk. We talk about the Knicks like winning a game they didn't deserve to win. That's 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 kind of what you do though, man. You know when you want to be taken seriously, you do win games like they won last night, and now they're going to get an opportunity against a much better team that's healthy to come in. And uh, if they're able to take care of that, I mean these are these are just confidence builders in general about who you are and what like what you really your goals are this year when you can win games like that when you don't have everybody there. The other game, the last one, a matchup of the tall Frenchman. You've got Wembenyama and the Spurs going into Minnesota to take on Gobert and the Timberwolves. Again, another game that I don't think will be necessarily competitive, but I am always interested in just seeing Wembenyama go up against the different types of centers in the NBA, and this is another chance with somebody he's very familiar with than Rudy Gobert. Any any thoughts on that game before we get out of here? I mean, it's just going to be fun to watch that kind of length go go get up against that yeah. front line, right, and see what Wemby's able to do. And like, it, it, you know, at the end of the day, if you're just a straight power player against that, that's that's tough, man. That can be tough. But if you got the skill set of Victor Wembanyama, I'm curious to see like how he how he figures out a way to maneuver around those two guys and still do his thing. Uh, but again, that could be who knows? That could be a 30 point game in the second quarter. I mean, so you're not you don't, might not get a great feel. I love today's show. I love talking Jaime Jaquez. I think we're going to talk about Jaime Jaquez a whole lot more. You can hit that outro music, Emma. I think we're going to be talking about him a whole lot more because I think he's going to be a major piece of this playoff run, and I kind of get a feeling that Miami is going to be poised for a playoff run. So I'm excited about them, and I was glad we got to talk about them today. Legs, good show. Any final thoughts? No, man, I'm, I'm with you 100% on, on the heat, and it's it's good it's good we got it in right now because then we don't look like you know we're jumping on the bandwagon <laughs> if they really get hot. So so uh, no, I thought it was a great show, great discussion, in depth in depth on that game in particular. I thought it was really good. Um, everybody, we appreciate you joining us. We are off tomorrow, but we are back on Wednesday, or I'm sorry, on Thursday. Recover, uh, recapping Wednesday's games. You got the Pelicans at the Pacers should be good. Uh, you've got the Kings at Denver, which is always good. And then the Battle of LA Lakers Clippers. So we'll have no shortage of good games to break down for you on Thursday. Hit that like button for us on the way out. We'll see you then.